Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ulysses slept in the cloister upon an undressed bullock's hide, on the top of which he threw several skins of the sheep the suitors had eaten, and urinome. 156. Threw a cloak over him after he had laid himself down. There, then, Ulysses lay wakefully brooding upon the way in which he should kill the suitors, and by and by, the women who had been in the habit of misconducting themselves with them, left the house giggling and laughing with one another. This made Ulysses very angry and he doubted whether to get up and kill every single one of them then and there, or to let them sleep one more and last time with the suitors. His heart growled within him, and as a bitch with puppies growls and shows her teeth when she sees a stranger, so did his heart growl with anger at the evil deeds that were being done. But he beat his breast and said, Heart, be still. You had worse than this to bear on the day when the terrible Cyclops ate your brave companions, yet you bore it in silence till your cunning got you safe out of the cave, though you made sure of being killed. Thus he chided with his heart, and checked it into endurance, but he tossed about as one who turns a paunch full of blood and fat in front of a hot fire, doing it first on one side and then on the other that he may get it cooked as soon as possible, even so did he turn himself about from side to side, thinking all the time how, single-handed as he was, he should contrive to kill so large a body of men as the wicked suitors. But by and by Minerva came down from heaven in the likeness of a woman, and hovered over his head saying, My poor unhappy man, why do you lie awake in this way? This is your house, your wife is safe inside it, and so is your son who is just such a young man as any father may be proud of. Goddess, answered Ulysses, all that you have said is true, but I am in some doubt as to how I shall be able to kill these wicked suitors single-handed, seeing what a number of them there always are. And there is this further difficulty which is still more considerable. Supposing that with Jove's and your assistance I succeed in killing them, I must ask you to consider where I am to escape to from their avengers when it is all over. For shame, replied Minerva, why, anyone else would trust a worse ally than myself, 
even though that ally were only a mortal and less wise than I am. Am I not a goddess, and have I not protected you throughout in all your troubles? I tell you plainly that even though there were fifty bands of men surrounding us and eager to kill us, you should take all their sheep and cattle, and drive them away with you. But go to sleep, it is a very bad thing to lie awake all night, and you shall be out of your troubles before long. As she spoke she shed sleep over his eyes, and then went back to Olympus. While Ulysses was thus yielding himself to a very deep slumber that eased the burden of his sorrows, his admirable wife awoke, and sitting up in her bed began to cry. When she had relieved herself by weeping she prayed to Diana saying, Great goddess Diana, daughter of Jove, drive an arrow into my heart and slay me, or let some whirlwind snatch me up and bear me through paths of darkness till it drop me into the mouths of overflowing Oceanus, as it did the daughters of Pandarius. The daughters of Pandarius lost their father and mother, for the gods killed them, so they were left orphans. But Venus took care of them, and fed them on cheese, honey, and sweet wine. This very night methought there was one lying by my side who was like Ulysses as he was when he went away with his host, and I rejoiced, for I believed that it was no dream, but the very truth itself. This very night methought there was one lying by my side who was like Ulysses as he was when he went away with his host, and I rejoiced, for I believed that it was no dream, but the very truth itself. On this the day broke, but Ulysses heard the sound of her weeping, and it puzzled him, for it seemed as though she already knew him and was by his side. Then he gathered up the cloak and the fleeces on which he had lain, and set them on a seat in the cloister, but he took the bullocks hide out into the open. He lifted up his hands to heaven, and prayed, saying Father Jove, since you have seen fit to bring me over land and sea to my own home after all the afflictions you have laid upon me, Give me a sign out of the mouth of some one or other of those who are now waking within the house, and let me have another sign of some kind from outside. Thus did he pray. Jove heard his prayer and forthwith thundered high up among the clouds from the splendor of Olympus, and Ulysses was glad when he heard it. At the same time within the house, a miller woman from hard by in the mill room lifted up her voice and gave him another sign. There were twelve miller women whose business it was to grind wheat and barley which are the staff of life. The others had ground their task and had gone to take their rest, but this one had not yet finished, for she was not so strong as they were, and when she heard the thunder she stopped grinding and gave the sign to her master. Father Jove, said she, you, who rule over heaven and earth, you have thundered from a clear sky without so much as a cloud in it, and this means something for somebody, grant the prayer, then, of me your poor servant who calls upon you, 
and let this be the very last day that the suitors dine in the house of Ulysses. They have worn me out with labour of grinding meal for them, and I hope they may never have another dinner anywhere at all. Ulysses was glad when he heard the omens conveyed to him by the woman's speech, and by the thunder, for he knew they meant that he should avenge himself on the suitors. Then the other maids in the house rose and lit the fire on the hearth, Telemachus also rose and put on his clothes. He girded his sword about his shoulder, bound his sandals onto his comely feet, and took a doughty spear with a point of sharpened bronze, then he went to the threshold of the cloister and said to Euryclea, Nurse, did you make the stranger comfortable both as regards bed and board, or did you let him shift for himself, for my mother, good woman though she is, has a way of paying great attention to second-rate people, and of neglecting others who are in reality much better men. Do not find fault child, said Euryclea, when there is no one to find fault with. The stranger sat and drank his wine as long as he liked, your mother did ask him if he would take any more bread and he said he would not. When he wanted to go to bed she told the servants to make one for him, but he said he was such a wretched outcast that he would not sleep on a bed and under blankets, he insisted on having an undressed bullock's hide and some sheepskins put for him in the cloister and I threw a cloak over him myself. 157. Then Telemachus went out of the court to the place where the Achaeans were meeting in assembly. He had his spear in his hand, and he was not alone, for his two dogs went with him. But Euryclea called the maids and said, Come, wake up, set about sweeping the cloisters and sprinkling them with water to lay the dust, put the covers on the seats, wipe down the tables, some of you, with a wet sponge, clean out the mixing jugs and the cups, and go for water from the fountain at once, the suitors will be here directly, they will be here early, for it is a feast day. Thus did she speak, and they did even as she had said, twenty of them went to the fountain for water, and the others set themselves busily to work about the house. The men who were in attendance on the suitors also came up and began chopping firewood. By and by the women returned from the fountain, and the swineherd came after them with the three best pigs he could pick out. These he let feed about the premises, and then he said good-humouredly to Ulysses, Stranger, are the suitors treating you any better now, or are they as insolent as ever? May heaven, answered Ulysses, requite to them the wickedness with which they deal high-handedly in another man's house without any sense of shame. Thus did they converse, meanwhile Melanthius the goat herd came up, for he too was bringing in his best goats for the suitor's dinner, and he had two shepherds with him. They tied the goats up under the gatehouse and then Melanthius began jibing at Ulysses. Are you still here, stranger, said he, 
to pester people by begging about the house. Why can you not go elsewhere? You and I shall not come to an understanding before we have given each other a taste of our fists. You beg without any sense of decency, are there not feasts elsewhere among the Achaeans, as well as here? Ulysses made no answer, but bowed his head and brooded. Then a third man, Philoetius, joined them, who was bringing in a barren heifer and some goats. These were brought over by the boatmen who are there to take people over when anyone comes to them. So Philoetius made his heifer and his goats secure under the gatehouse, and then went up to the swineherd. Who, swineherd, said he, is this stranger that is lately come here? Is he one of your men? What is his family? Where does he come from? Poor fellow, he looks as if he had been some great man, but the gods give sorrow to whom they will even to kings if it so pleases them. As he spoke he went up to Ulysses and saluted him with his right hand. Good day to you, father stranger, said he, you seem to be very poorly off now, but I hope you will have better times by and by. Father Jove, of all gods you are the most malicious. We are your own children, yet you show us no mercy in all our misery and afflictions. A sweat came over me when I saw this man, and my eyes filled with tears, for he reminds me of Ulysses, who I fear is going about in just such rags as this man's are, if indeed he is still among the living. If he is already dead and in the house of Hades, then, alas! For my good master, who made me his stockman when I was quite young among the Cephalenians, and now his cattle are countless, no one could have done better with them than I have, for they have bred like ears of corn, nevertheless I have to keep bringing them in for others to eat, who take no heed to his son though he is in the house, and fear not the wrath of heaven, but are already eager to divide Ulysses' property among them because he has been away so long. I have often thought only it would not be right while his son is living of going off with the cattle to some foreign country, bad as this would be, it is still harder to stay here and be ill-treated about other people's herds. My position is intolerable, and I should long since have run away and put myself under the protection of some other chief, only that I believe my poor master will yet return and send all these suitors flying out of the house. Stockman, answered Ulysses, you seem to be a very well-disposed person, and I can see that you are a man of sense. Therefore I will tell you, and will confirm my words with an oath. By Jove, the chief of all gods, and by that hearth of Ulysses to which I am now come, Ulysses shall return before you leave this place, and if you are so minded you shall see him killing the suitors who are now masters here. If Jove were to bring this to pass, replied the stockman, you should see how I would do my very utmost to help him.
and in like manner Eumaeus prayed that Ulysses might return home. Thus did they converse. Meanwhile the suitors were hatching a plot to murder Telemachus, but a bird flew near them on their left hand, an eagle with a dove in its talons. On this Amphinomus said, My friends, this plot of ours to murder Telemachus will not succeed, let us go to dinner instead. The others assented, so they went inside and laid their cloaks on the benches and seats. They sacrificed the sheep, goats, pigs, and the heifer, and when the inward meats were cooked they served them round. They mixed the wine in the mixing bowls, and the swineherd gave every man his cup, while Philoetius handed round the bread in the bread baskets, and Melanthius poured them out their wine. Then they laid their hands upon the good things that were before them. Telemachus purposely made Ulysses sit in the part of the cloister that was paved with stone winking sad smiley 158. He gave him a shabby-looking seat at a little table to himself, and had his portion of the inward meats brought to him, with his wine in a gold cup. Sit there, said he, and drink your wine among the great people. I will put a stop to the jibes and blows of the suitors, for this is no public house, but belongs to Ulysses, and has passed from him to me. Therefore, suitors, keep your hands and your tongues to yourselves, or there will be mischief. The suitors bit their lips, and marveled at the boldness of his speech, then Antinous said, we do not like such language but we will put up with it, for Telemachus is threatening us in good earnest. If Jove had let us we should have put a stop to his brave talk ere now. Thus spoke Antinous, but Telemachus heeded him not. Meanwhile the heralds were bringing the holy Hecatom through the city and the Achaeans gathered under the shady grove of Apollo. Then they roasted the outer meat, drew it off the spits, gave every man his portion, and feasted to their heart's content, those who waited at table gave Ulysses exactly the same portion as the others had, for Telemachus had told them to do so. But Minerva would not let the suitors for one moment drop their insolence, for she wanted Ulysses to become still more bitter against them. Now there happened to be among them a ribald fellow, whose name was Tisippus, and who came from Same. This man, confident in his great wealth, was paying court to the wife of Ulysses, and said to the suitors, Hear what I have to say. The stranger has already had as large a portion as anyone else, this is well, for it is not right nor reasonable to ill-treat any guest of Telemachus who comes here. I will, however, make him a present on my own account, that he may have something to give to the bathwoman, or to some other of Ulysses' servants. As he spoke he picked up a heifer's foot from the meat basket in which it lay, and threw it at Ulysses, 
but Ulysses turned his head a little aside, and avoided it, smiling grimly Sardinian fashion, 159. As he did so, and it hit the wall, not him. On this Telemachus spoke fiercely to Tisippus, it is a good thing for you, said he, that the stranger turned his head so that you missed him. If you had hit him I should have run you through with my spear, and your father would have had to see about getting you buried rather than married in this house. So let me have no more unseemly behaviour from any of you, for I am grown up now to the knowledge of good and evil and understand what is going on, instead of being the child that I have been heretofore. I have long seen you killing my sheep and making free with my corn and wine. I have put up with this, for one man is no match for many, but do me no further violence. Still, if you wish to kill me, kill me, I would far rather die than see such disgraceful scenes day after day, guests insulted, and men dragging the women servants about the house in an unseemly way. They all held their peace till at last Agelor's son of Damiastia said, No one should take offence at what has just been said, nor gainsay it, for it is quite reasonable. Leave off, therefore, ill-treating the stranger, or anyone else of the servants who are about the house, I would say, however, a friendly word to Telemachus and his mother which I trust may commend itself to both. As long, I would say, as you had ground for hoping that Ulysses would one day come home, no one could complain of your waiting and suffering, 160, the suitors to be in your house. It would have been better that he should have returned, but it is now sufficiently clear that he will never do so, Therefore talk all this quietly over with your mother, and tell her to marry the best man, and the one who makes her the most advantageous offer. Thus you will yourself be able to manage your own inheritance, and to eat and drink in peace, while your mother will look after some other man's house, not yours. To this Telemachus answered, By Jove, Agelors, and by the sorrows of my unhappy father, who has either perished far from Ithaca, or is wandering in some distant land, I throw no obstacles in the way of my mother's marriage, on the contrary I urge her to choose whomsoever she will, and I will give her numberless gifts into the bargain, but I dare not insist point blank that she shall leave the house against her own wishes. Heaven forbid that I should do this. Minerva now made the suitors fall to laughing immoderately, and set their wits wandering, but they were laughing with a forced laughter. Their meat became smeared with blood, their eyes filled with tears, and their hearts were heavy with forebodings. Theoclymenus saw this and said, Unhappy men, what is it that ails you? There is a shroud of darkness drawn over you from head to foot, your cheeks are wet with tears, the air is alive with wailing voices, the walls and roof beams drip blood, 
The gate of the cloisters and the court beyond them are full of ghosts trooping down into the night of hell. The sun is blotted out of heaven, and a blighting gloom is over all the land. Thus did he speak, and they all of them laughed heartily. Eurymachus then said, This stranger who has lately come here has lost his senses. Servants, turn him out into the streets, since he finds it so dark here. But Theoclymena said, Eurymachus, you need not send anyone with me. I have eyes, ears, and a pair of feet of my own, to say nothing of an understanding mind. I will take these out of the house with me, for I see mischief overhanging you, from which not one of you men who are insulting people and plotting ill deeds in the house of Ulysses will be able to escape. He left the house as he spoke, and went back to Piraeus who gave him welcome, but the suitors kept looking at one another and provoking Telemachus by laughing at the strangers. One insolent fellow said to him, Telemachus, you are not happy in your guests. First you have this importunate tramp, who comes begging bread and wine and has no skill for work or for hard fighting, but is perfectly useless, and now here is another fellow who is setting himself up as a prophet. Let me persuade you for it will be much better to put them on board ship and send them off to the sick elves to sell for what they will bring. Telemachus gave him no heed, but sate silently watching his father, expecting every moment that he would begin his attack upon the suitors. Meanwhile the daughter of Icarius, wise Penelope, had had a rich seat placed for her facing the court and cloisters, so that she could hear what everyone was saying. The dinner indeed had been prepared amid much merriment, it had been both good and abundant, for they had sacrificed many victims, but the supper was yet to come, and nothing can be conceived more gruesome than the meal which a goddess and a brave man were soon to lay before them, for they had brought their doom upon themselves. Book XXI the trial of the axes, during which Ulysses reveals himself to Eumaeus and Philoetius. Minerva now put it in Penelope's mind to make the suitors try their skill with the bow and with the iron axes, in contest among themselves, as a means of bringing about their destruction. She went upstairs and got the storeroom key, which was made of bronze and had a handle of ivory. She then went with her maidens into the storeroom at the end of the house, where her husband's treasures of gold, bronze, and wrought iron were kept, and where was also his bow, and the quiver full of deadly arrows that had been given him by a friend whom he had met in Lacedaemon, Iphitus the son of Eurytus. The two fell in with one another in Messene at the house of Autolochus, where Ulysses was staying in order to recover a debt that was owing from the whole people, for the Messenians had carried off three hundred sheep from Ithaca, and had sailed away with them and with their shepherds.
In quest of these Ulysses took a long journey while still quite young, for his father and the other chieftains sent him on a mission to recover them. Iphitus had gone there also to try and get back twelve brood mares that he had lost, and the mule foals that were running with them. These mares were the death of him in the end, for when he went to the house of Jove's son, mighty Hercules, who performed such prodigies of valour, Hercules to his shame killed him, though he was his guest, for he feared not heaven's vengeance, nor yet respected his own table which he had set before Iphitus, but killed him in spite of everything, and kept the mares himself. It was when claiming these that Iphitus met Ulysses, and gave him the bow which mighty Eurytus had been used to carry, and which on his death had been left by him to his son. Ulysses gave him in return a sword and a spear, and this was the beginning of a fast friendship, although they never visited at one another's houses, for Jove's son Hercules killed Iphitus ere they could do so. This bow, then, given him by Iphitus, had not been taken with him by Ulysses when he sailed for Troy, he had used it so long as he had been at home, but had left it behind as having been a keepsake from a valued friend. Penelope presently reached the oak threshold of the storeroom, the carpenter had planed this duly, and had drawn a line on it so as to get it quite straight, he had then set the doorposts into it and hung the doors. She loosed the strap from the handle of the door, put in the key, and drove it straight home to shoot back the bolts that held the doors winking sad smiley 161. These flew open with a noise like a bull bellowing in a meadow, and Penelope stepped upon the raised platform, where the chests stood in which the fair linen and clothes were laid by along with fragrant herbs. Reaching thence, she took down the bow with its bow case from the peg on which it hung. She sat down with it on her knees, weeping bitterly as she took the bow out of its case, and when her tears had relieved her, she went to the cloister where the suitors were, carrying the bow and the quiver, with the many deadly arrows that were inside it. Along with her came her maidens, bearing a chest that contained much iron and bronze which her husband had won as prizes. When she reached the suitors, she stood by one of the bearing posts supporting the roof of the cloister, holding a veil before her face and with a maid on either side of her. Then she said, Listen to me you suitors, who persist in abusing the hospitality of this house because its owner has been long absent, and without other pretext than that you want to marry me, this, then, being the prize that you are contending for, I will bring out the mighty bow of Ulysses, and whomsoever of you shall string it most easily and send his arrow through each one of twelve axes, him will I follow and quit this house of my lawful husband, so goodly, and so abounding in wealth. But even so I doubt not that I shall remember it in my dreams. As she spoke, she told Eumaeus to set the bow and the pieces of iron before the suitors, 
and Eumaeus wept as he took them to do as she had bidden him. Hard by, the stockman wept also when he saw his master's bow, but Antinous scolded them. You country louts, said he, silly simpletons, why should you add to the sorrows of your mistress by crying in this way? She has enough to grieve her in the loss of her husband, sit still, therefore, and eat your dinners in silence, or go outside if you want to cry, and leave the bow behind you. We suitors shall have to contend for it with might and main, for we shall find it no light matter to string such a bow as this is. There is not a man of us all who is such another as Ulysses, for I have seen him and remember him, though I was then only a child. This was what he said, but all the time he was expecting to be able to string the bow and shoot through the iron, whereas in fact he was to be the first that should taste of the arrows from the hands of Ulysses, whom he was dishonouring in his own house egging the others on to do so also. Then Telemachus spoke. Great heavens, he exclaimed, Jove must have robbed me of my senses. Here is my dear and excellent mother saying she will quit this house and marry again, yet I am laughing and enjoying myself as though there were nothing happening. But, suitors, as the contest has been agreed upon, let it go forward. It is for a woman whose peer is not to be found in Pylos, Argos, or Mycenae, nor yet in Ithaca nor on the mainland. You know this as well as I do, what need have I to speak in praise of my mother? Come on, then, make no excuses for delay, but let us see whether you can string the bow or no. I too will make trial of it for if I can string it and shoot through the iron, I shall not suffer my mother to quit this house with a stranger, not if I can win the prizes which my father won before me. As he spoke he sprang from his seat, threw his crimson cloak from him, and took his sword from his shoulder. First he set the axes in a row, in a long groove which he had dug for them, and had made straight by line. 162. Then he stamped the earth tight round them, and everyone was surprised when they saw him set them up so orderly, though he had never seen anything of the kind before. This done, he went on to the pavement to make trial of the bow, thrice did he tug at it, trying with all his might to draw the string, and thrice he had to leave off though he had hoped to string the bow and shoot through the iron. He was trying for the fourth time, and would have strung it had not Ulysses made a sign to check him in spite of all his eagerness. So he said, Alas! I shall either be always feeble and of no prowess, or I am too young and have not yet reached my full strength so as to be able to hold my own if any one attacks me. You others, therefore, who are stronger than I, make trial of the bow and get this contest settled. On this he put the bow down, letting it lean against the door, that led into the house, 
with the arrow standing against the top of the bow. Then he sat down on the seat from which he had risen, and Antinous said, Come on each of you in his turn, going towards the right from the place at which the cupbearer begins when he is handing round the wine. The rest agreed, and Laod's son of Enoch's was the first to rise. He was sacrificial priest to the suitors, and sat in the corner near the mixing bowl. 163 he was the only man who hated their evil deeds and was indignant with the others. He was now the first to take the bow and arrow, so he went onto the pavement to make his trial, but he could not string the bow, for his hands were weak and unused to hard work, they therefore soon grew tired, and he said to the suitors, My friends, I cannot string it, let another have it, this bow shall take the life and soul out of many a chief among us, for it is better to die than to live after having missed the prize that we have so long striven for, and which has brought us so long. Together. Some one of us is even now hoping and praying that he may marry Penelope, but when he has seen this bow and tried it, let him woo and make bridal offerings to some other woman and let Penelope marry whoever makes her the best offer and whose lot it is to win her. On this he put the bow down, letting it lean against the door, 164, with the arrow standing against the tip of the bow. Then he took his seat again on the seat from which he had risen, and Antinous rebuked him saying, Laodes, what are you talking about? Your words are monstrous and intolerable, it makes me angry to listen to you. Shall, then, this bow take the life of many a chief among us, merely because you cannot bend it yourself? True, you were not born to be an archer, but there are others who will soon string it. Then he said to Melanthius the goat herd, Look sharp, light a fire in the court and set a seat hard by with a sheep skin on it, bring us also a large ball of lard, from what they have in the house. Let us warm the bow and grease it, we will then make trial of it again, and bring the contest to an end. Melanthius lit the fire, and set a seat covered with sheep skins beside it. He also brought a great ball of lard from what they had in the house, and the suitors warmed the bow and again made trial of it, but they were none of them nearly strong enough to string it. Nevertheless there still remained Antinous and Eurymachus, who were the ringleaders among the suitors and much the foremost among them all. Then the swineherd and the stockman left the cloisters together, and Ulysses followed them. When they had got outside the gates in the outer yard, Ulysses said to them quietly, Stockman, and you swineherd, I have something in my mind which I am in doubt whether to say or no, but I think I will say it. What manner of men would you be to stand by Ulysses, if some god should bring him back here all of a sudden? 
say which you are disposed to do to side with the suitors, or with Ulysses. Father Jove, answered the stockman, would indeed that you might so ordain it. If some god were but to bring Ulysses back, you should see with what might and main I would fight for him. In like words Eumaeus prayed to all the gods that Ulysses might return, when, therefore, he saw for certain what mind they were of, Ulysses said, It is I, Ulysses, who am here. I have suffered much, but at last, in the twentieth year, I am come back to my own country. I find that you two alone of all my servants are glad that I should do so, for I have not heard any of the others praying for my return. To you two, therefore, will I unfold the truth as it shall be. If heaven shall deliver the suitors into my hands, I will find wives for both of you, will give you house and holding close to my own, and you shall be to me as though you were brothers and friends of Telemachus. I will now give you convincing proofs that you may know me and be assured. See, here is the scar from the boar's tooth that ripped me when I was out hunting on Mount Parnassus with the sons of Autolycus. As he spoke he drew his rags aside from the great scar, and when they had examined it thoroughly, they both of them wept about Ulysses, threw their arms round him, and kissed his head and shoulders, while Ulysses kissed their hands and faces in return. The sun would have gone down upon their mourning if Ulysses had not checked them and said, Cease your weeping lest someone should come outside and see us, and tell those who are within. When you go in, do so separately, not both together. I will go first, and do you follow afterwards. Let this moreover be the token between us. The suitors will all of them try to prevent me from getting hold of the bow and quiver. Do you, therefore, Eumaeus, place it in my hands when you are carrying it about? and tell the women to close the doors of their apartment. If they hear any groaning or uproar as of men fighting about the house, they must not come out, they must keep quiet, and stay where they are at their work. And I charge you, Philoetius, to make fast the doors of the outer court, and to bind them securely at once. When he had thus spoken, he went back to the house and took the seat that he had left. Presently, his two servants followed him inside. At this moment the bow was in the hands of Eurymachus, who was warming it by the fire, but even so he could not string it, and he was greatly grieved. He heaved a deep sigh and said, I grieve for myself and for us all. I grieve that I shall have to forego the marriage, but I do not care nearly so much about this, for there are plenty of other women in Ithaca and elsewhere. What I feel most is the fact of our being so inferior to Ulysses in strength that we cannot string his bow. This will disgrace us in the eyes of those who are yet unborn. It shall not be so, Eurymachus, said Antinous and you know it yourself. 
Today is the feast of Apollo throughout all the land, who can string a bow on such a day as this? Put it on one side, as for the axes they can stay where they are, for no one is likely to come to the house and take them away. Let the cupbearer go round with his cups, that we may make our drink offerings and drop this matter of the bow. We will tell Melanthius to bring us in some goats tomorrow, the best he has. We can then offer thigh bones to Apollo the mighty archer, and again make trial of the bow, so as to bring the contest to an end. The rest approved his words, and thereon men servants poured water over the hands of the guests, while pages filled the mixing bowls with wine and water and handed it round after giving every man his drink offering. Then, when they had made their offerings and had drunk each as much as he desired, Ulysses craftily said, Suitors of the illustrious queen, listen that I may speak even as I am minded. I appeal more especially to Eurymachus, and to Antinous who has just spoken with so much reason. Cease shooting for the present and leave the matter to the gods, but in the morning let heaven give victory to whom it will. For the moment, however, give me the bow that I may prove the power of my hands among you all, and see whether I still have as much strength as I used to have, or whether travel and neglect have made an end of it. This made them all very angry, for they feared he might string the bow. Antinous therefore rebuked him fiercely saying, Wretched creature, you have not so much as a grain of sense in your whole body, you ought to think yourself lucky in being allowed to dine unharmed among your betters, without having any smaller portion served you than we others have had, and in being allowed to hear our conversation. No other beggar or stranger has been allowed to hear what we say among ourselves, the wine must have been doing you a mischief as it does with all those who drink immoderately. It was wine that inflamed the centaur Eurician when he was staying with Perithus among the Lapithi. When the wine had got into his head, he went mad and did ill deeds about the house of Perithus. This angered the heroes who were there assembled, so they rushed at him and cut off his ears and nostrils. Then they dragged him through the doorway out of the house, so he went away crazed, and bore the burden of his crime, bereft of understanding. Henceforth, therefore, there was war between mankind and the centaurs, but he brought it upon himself through his own drunkenness. In like manner I can tell you that it will go hardly with you if you string the bow, you will find no mercy from anyone here for we shall at once ship you off to King Echetus, who kills every one that comes near him. You will never get away alive, so drink and keep quiet without getting into a quarrel with men younger than yourself. Penelope then spoke to him. Antinous, said she, it is not right that you should ill-treat any guest of Telemachus who comes to this house. If the stranger should prove strong enough to string the mighty bow of Ulysses, can you suppose that he would take me home with him and make me his wife? 
Even the man himself can have no such idea in his mind, none of you need let that disturb his feasting, it would be out of all reason. Queen Penelope, answered Euromachus, we do not suppose that- Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.